cleaning up our act in space. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dr. Tim Flover, head of the Space Debris Office for the European Space Agency. Welcome, Dr. Flover. Hi. Good so to be here. You just returned from the eighth European Conference on Space Debris. Bring us up to speed on the history of these conferences and why examining this issue is so important. Yeah, so the uh, eighth European conference has um, just completed in April, and it was the uh, largest conference in a series that's cover uh, that spans over the last 30 years, uh, because we had the first one in 1993 already. At that time, rather small gathering of a few experts. And now we have grown into an event of more than 570 participants this year in a virtual format. But every four years, we are uh, meeting and discuss the aspects of space debris from observing so to measure where the debris is, over modeling, uh, discussing mitigation, and also uh, technologies to deal with the issue. And uh, over the years, we not only saw an increase of space debris, but we also, as I said, saw an increase of participants to that conference. So we can for sure say it's now the largest dedicated gathering to deal with space debris. And yes, you said it, space debris is getting more and more important, and it's a daily thing in space operations uh, affecting all operators. So what is the magnitude then of the space debris problem? Yeah, today we look back to around 6,000 launches that have been taking place since we do spaceflight and that have left uh, behind not only intact objects, so spent upper stages or decommissioned satellite, but unfortunately also fragmentation have happened. So these are uh, explosions, but also a few collisions have happened. And these created uh, an even larger number of smaller objects. Um, and they are still dangerous because they are orbiting with very high velocities in orbit. And if you think of seven and a half kilometers per second uh, in the low Earth orbit, you can imagine that even a small particle of a few centimeters would bring enough energy to, to destroy an entire satellite and creating uh, thousands of new fragments. So today, the space surveillance system Systems tell us we can track around um, 28, 29,000 of objects larger than a few centimeters in size. But then for the smaller ones, we have to rely on models. And there we estimate around uh, 900,000 objects larger than a centimeter and uh, several tens of millions of objects larger than a millimeter. And as I said, even these smaller ones are still dangerous. So there's cleaning up the mess we already made and there's preventing more debris from accumulating. What methods or technologies are most promising for on both fronts? Hmm. Yeah, you say it, uh, there's two aspects to dealing with the space debris problem. First, you have to make sure not to create debris. And then for those that is already there, you have to clean up. So I tell my kids, probably the same at home. Um, but then when it comes to taking out larger objects, then um, it's really the key to identify those objects who have the potential to fragment into um, a large number of objects and those who have the longest expected orbit lifetime. So these are the big massive objects that we have there. Unfortunately, we don't have the technology demonstrated for all of this yet. And uh, when it comes to removal, we at, at ESA, the European Space Agency, are now going forward with a mission together with uh, Swiss startup ClearSpace 
that takes out as a demonstration an ESA-owned object and shows that we can navigate close to your object, grab it with a kind of tentacle-like system and do a controlled deorbit through to the atmosphere. So this is one technology that we are following up, but there are also other technologies. Um, demonstrations uh, are ongoing also for things like nets or harpoons, everything that is possible to yeah, kind of grab something that is mechanically um, uh, remote and, and you, you need to kind of uh, interact with these objects. But you're right, Tonya, you said um, uh, mitigating is similarly important. And um, um, when you uh, fly a space mission today, there are guidelines and standards in place and it's, it's crucial to follow those. Uh, and um, we at, at ESA issue a report every year where we look into the compliance rate with these, with these mitigation guidelines as they are called. And we see, despite the numbers are improving, not everybody is still there up to pair. And in, um, in uh, the lower of orbits, we see only 30 to 40% compliance, unfortunately. And yes, the measures are remove all the residual energy, so to call passivate your object, that means uh, residual fuel, uh, discharge batteries. It also means limit your time that you spend in orbit. So this is 25 years is the limit for the low of orbits. In the higher altitudes where this is not possible, go to something that is called a graveyard. It's really called a graveyard orbit uh, where you do not interfere too much with other operational satellites. And, and then of course, when it comes to re-entry, mitigate the risk on ground. Make sure that you either do a controlled re-entry or that you uh, burn up in the atmosphere to the largest extent, so there's no risk to infrastructure or people on ground. So these are the key uh, mitigation measures. And there are others like do collision avoidance, <laughs> for sure, uh, that are required. So dealing with space debris is don't create it, minimize the consequences, and for the rest, take out the big, the big birds. You mentioned um, re-entry. Is burning up in re-entry a viable option for them for smaller items? Yeah, um, the the atmosphere uh, is is pretty good in in, in inducing uh, strong mechanical and thermal stress to an object that goes through the atmosphere, and that means um, usually only um, very heavy components of specific uh, materials survive such a reentry process, and um, that is um, components made for instance, out of uh, heat-resistant materials, so glasses or, or, or tanks, for instance, when you have titanium, and only those that are of larger masses and, and, uh, and, 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 vol and volume. But for smaller objects, um, um, this really burns up to, to the largest extent. And I can tell that every year we have about 150 metric tons re-entering the atmosphere and uh, burning to the really largest extent. It sounds like there's a large commercial opportunity for inventing debris removal methods and technologies. Yes, indeed. Um, we, we, we see also there the potential of such a market creating. And uh, on, on our side here in ESA, we are um, supporting this under a program called Space Safety. And there, uh, as I said already, we have the technology demonstration for our removal option a removal mission, um, but we also see it as an option to link this with, with servicing, in-orbit servicing to, to satellites. 
and coming back to the topic of space debris, uh, in-orbit surfacing is also quite relevant for mitigating space debris, because if you extend the lifetime of a satellite by repairing or in, in general servicing it, then there's no need to, to store the second satellite. Yeah? Um, I think this is also a good way for the future to go, to go ahead. One of the discussions is related to using machine learning and artificial intelligence for collision avoidance. How are these technologies used in that application? Yeah, today we are a bit in the beginning. I mean, some may say operating spacecraft sounds super fancy and uh, modern technology, but sometimes if you look in the detail, we have also the requirement to be extremely reliable. And of course, there is a bit of a conflict in bringing the most modern um, uh, technology to it. And uh, here, uh, operating uh, collision avoidance system for us is, is pretty interesting as this is a big data question. We have a lot of objects and a lot of collision warnings and a lot of data to deal with. It is interesting as we have multiple operators involved. So we have a lot of uh, information exchange and coordination overhead that we have today and that we can't do anymore by, by manual human uh, inter intervention in such processes. Yeah, imagine you you have to have a 24/7 process ready to analyze events, design avoidance maneuvers, upload them and verify them, and coordinate with other operators. And especially the coordination with other operators has become, as we have now, much much more operators coming into the business, uh, becoming very very time consuming. And we have no technology out there, machine learning, and also uh, artificial intelligence that could help us in, in automating these, these processes. And indeed, we have done a, a competition quite recently at ESA, um, where we um, uh, gave a question to the machine learning community saying, okay, these are cases from the past where we would have had uh, the decision to maneuver or not to maneuver. This is a training data set where you know what we did. So tell us for this unknown data set, what your machine learning algorithms would, would, would have told us. Yeah, and we were, pretty excited about the results and they've just been published. And this encourages us to go further in this direction and to, to automate the process further. So are there ever any ownership issues? Sure, no one wants the small stuff, but is there any value in the larger items? Well, the value is our environment that we have to protect. And um, we see this, uh, this space environment as a resource and the resource has a limited capacity. Of course, if you look into the individual value of the material, I would also have my questions uh, saying, uh, <laughs> this is something I would like to, to, to retrieve and keep in, 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 yeah, in, in my showroom. But think of the Earth environment as a resource that we need to protect because everything we mess up today there um, makes future operations very costly, if not impossible. And we, we somehow have have the obligation to, to leave a space environment behind that next generations can also use for doing the exciting things we do today. So let's not mess up and consider this as the value of, of space debris. I like your philosophy, let's not mess up. How can we follow <laughs> the ESA's efforts on this topic, Tim? Yeah, there's a few things I would like to tell the, um, um, the folks out there. So we've just completed uh, a little short movie uh, that is called Time to Act, and you will find it on, on, on YouTube, but also on our ESA website. This is uh, esa.int, and there you find a lot of further information also to connect with us. And as a starter, enjoy the few minutes of the Time to Act movie. 
Tim Flower, head of Space Debris Office for the European Space Agency. If somebody wants to connect with you personally, Tim, how can they do that? Yeah, you can find me on, on LinkedIn, for instance. Right. Feel free to contact me. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Tonya. And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on ZDNet, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or at TonyaHall.net. Thanks for watching.